good afternoon to, uh, if in afternoon in Kuala Lumpur and morning in uh, in the UK and I don't know uh, what time some other part in the world yeah uh, we will continue with our discussion uh, this week uh, today we're not going to do the reading uh, of the book of certainty uh, because in the previous session uh, we talk about the color of Hedir, the green color of Hedir, yeah. Uh, what is the significance of the color of green, yeah, in paradise also, yeah. I think there we stop, yeah. So now I, I, I pass over to uh, Dr. Reza Shah Kazmi, yeah. And, and later on we'll be joined by uh, Emma Clark, who will, uh, she will uh, explain uh, further the significance of the color green. Go ahead, yes. Dr. Reza. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Khalid. Um, yes, at the last session, we encountered the references to the color green that Dr. Ling's put such great emphasis upon, along with um, silver and gold, which signified respectively the sun, the, the moon and the sun, and the, the alchemical marriage between the two. And uh, he added that the green cushions, the green robes that were worn, that are worn by the inhabitants of paradise. And it led to a discussion at the end of the last session um, about the esoteric significance of the color green. Why is it that Al-Khidr, who is not called Al-Khidr, the green man, he's not named as such in the Quran, he's just referred to as a slave from among our slaves to whom we gave mercy and knowledge from our very presence, min ladunna. And so it's the prophet who says that this mysterious personage who teaches Moses the, or at least uh, evokes for Moses, the mysteries, the esoteric mysteries that relate to the haqiqa, the ultimate spiritual truth, the absolute spiritual reality that transcends the sharia, the law, the outward law that Moses embodies, personifies, represents, symbolizes. And that al-khidr, by contrast, represents the spirit that transcends the law. Um, and why it is that this personage is referred to as the green man, why is it that the prophet was uh, wrapped in a green mantle when he was put into his grave, according to various hadiths? Why is it that the prophet wore the green turban? Uh, if not all the time, certainly he was associated very strongly with this with this color green. And why is it that the, the Quran refers to green robes that are worn by people in paradise? And I think if we have time after we've asked our guest um, for this week's seminar, uh, Emma Clark, who is, some of you may not know, but Emma Clark is the um, I dare say the world's expert on the Islamic garden. Uh, and I say that taking into account not just the technical aspects of Islamic gardens through history and in their contemporary manifestation, but also I think Emma is probably the best qualified person to speak 
about the spiritual, the cosmological, the esoteric, and the metaphysical dimensions of the Islamic garden. So we're going to uh, ask Emma to um, enlighten us regarding the significance of the color green um, in paradise and paradisal gardens. Um, and actually, Emma, if it's all right with you, I probably have said, well, one more thing that I, I would like to emphasize is that um, the, the, this personage Al-Khidr, that of course, this is all on the Green Knight Multimedia website, and it relates to um, one of the universal symbolisms that we are trying to bring out in the Green Knight project, which is that what the Green Knight represents in the Arthurian cycle of Celtic mythology um, uh, and what Al-Khidr represents in Islam, what Elijah, in particular Elijah, represents in Judaism, St. George in, in Christianity and Namuchi and Indra in, in, the, in the Hindu traditions and the green Tara, the green goddess in Buddhism. It goes on and on. There are all these extraordinary, extraordinarily significant esoteric openings to this color green in across the traditions. And uh, Elijah and Al-Khidr come together and for the sake of our, our seminar now. It's important to emphasize that Elijah the Elijah, what's called, he's called Elias in the Greek tradition. Um, Elijah is the one who comes to prepare the way for the Messiah. And although this is taking us away a little bit from the, the subject of our seminar today, I just really want to emphasize that what in Islam seems to represent the Eliatic function is the continuation of the Khidri aspect, the green man, this esoteric um, dimension of Islam through that particularly strong current of what Fritjof Schuon has referred to as uh, the, the current that flows from Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, Shuan refers to Ali as the esoteric representative of Islam par excellence. And so what Ali represents and what his progeny represent is something like a kind of Eliatic, esoteric function of Al-Khidr. And remember that Ali referred to Al-Khidr as my brother. He referred to himself as he who is called Elias, Ilyas, in the New Testament. So Ali is referring to himself as the kind of embodiment of what Jesus refers to as the Eliatic function, the archetype, as opposed to the specific, limited, individual, empirical uh, ego. That when Jesus looked at John the Baptist and said, Behold, Elijah is come, Elias is come. They said, no, Lord, we asked him, are you Elijah, the one who comes to prepare for the Messiah? He said, no. 
So John the Baptist's denial is that his personal empirical envelope has anything to do with his archetypal function. That archetypal function is universal and it can be embodied in a whole range of individuals. And when in the Old Testament it says that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord and so on and will prepare the way for the Messiah, this Eliatic function is both preparatory for the Messiah, but it's also a function of transcendence of the whole realm of the law, of the world, of the dunya, of this lower um, conventional world, if you like, that needs laws and regulations and so on. So when uh, Ali refers to himself as he who is called Ilyas in the Injil, he doesn't say Ilyas in the Torah or in the Old Testament. He's indicating that I am the one who is referred to by Jesus as Elias in the New Testament, thereby indicating the continuity of this esoteric stream through Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and through Islam to the whole of, uh, of, of subsequent um, um, manifestations of all of those revelations for the rest of time. So, and also, as I say, Imam Ali referred to himself as, as Al-Khidr as his brother. When he was asked, where did this dua, this most famous dua, the supplication of, um, uh, of the Shiite tradition, but increasingly well known among the, the, in the Sunni tradition, arguably the most important supplication attributed to Ali and one of the most esoteric, indeed, supplications attributed to him is what's called Dua Kumail, the supplication of Kumail. He imparted this to his disciple Kumail in Kufa in when he was the Caliph of Islam. And he said that this is the supplication, this is how you should, this is one of the ways in which you should speak to God. This is your prayer. And I received it not from myself, but from direct inspiration through my brother Al-Khidr. So we have this continuity of this extraordinary, powerful, deep, esoteric current um, that Al-Khidr represents. So now I've said enough by way of introduction to why we're calling ourselves in, in the Green Knight multimedia, giving ourselves this, uh, this name, the Green Knight, the Green Color. And on that note, uh, I'll just pass over now to Emma and ask her to speak for however long you'd like to speak for, Emma, um, to tell us a little bit about the color green in relation to paradise, the Islamic garden, and its broader spiritual and esoteric symbolism, if that's all right. Thank you very much for your very exaggerated introduction. Very kind of you. Um, it's as you were speaking, uh, and I was looking uh, to my left a lot because that's where my garden is and that's where green is and it's interesting that in all the traditions well I think particularly obviously in the Islamic and Christian tradition green is said to be a rest for the eye it's soothing to the eye and there are um, quotations from the middle ages about how the monks would go into the cloisters and walk around the cloisters and so they could rest their eyes from their scholarly work by looking into the green of the cloisters, looking inwards. And of course, this is um, in Islam. I mean, this may be on the sort of outward level, you might say, the worldly level. One of the reasons that green is so 
central is because there was so little green in where in the country where Islam was born in what is now Saudi Arabia. Mm. And if you've been there or in any, any of you spent time in a desert and you just see hill after hill after hill of brown, of brown or beige or yellow sand and rock. And it's very, it, it's harsh on the eyes. Not only is the temperature harsh, but it's this feeling upon the eye. And so if you see an oasis in the distance, you see green, normally the date palm, Phoenix dactylifera, which um, gives of its of its fruit so generously, then in a sense that is that's your savior, that is your your haven, that's your sacred place. And if you look at the descriptions of the paradise of paradise in the Quran, um, there are many different. You know, it's the it's the gardens of paradise, but they're the gardens of refuge as well. They're the gardens of. I think there are many different translations. One of the translations is hospitable homes, which is a bit awkward, but it is this idea of this sacred home and you see the green in the distance. And there is a well-known saying about it being soothing for the eye. So that's on one level. And of course, as soon as you've seen green, you see water and water is completely central to the Paradise Gardens. I mean, I, I, water comes first and green comes a very close second, second because, of course, they're completely integrated. So that's one of the reasons that green is so important to, to Islam. Um, I wanted to say next, and of course, as, as, as Dr. Reza has already said, there are descriptions of the paradise gardens of every, and there are four gardens of paradise, which are um, manifested in the, in the world that we live in as the Chaharabab, the fourfold gardens, which are two pairs of gardens. And of course there are two, as it says in Surat al-Rahman in chapter 55, these gardens, there's the two lower gardens, the pairs of gardens and the two higher gardens. And these are, as, as, as Dr. Lings has beautifully explained in his book of certainty, um, which I very much based my first book on, on, on the um, spiritual meaning of the Islamic garden. It's to do with the maturity or the purification of your own soul. So there are, and there are four particular trees associated with the gardens, particular fruits and particular fountains. And the higher of each of these two pairs of gardens it talks about green and that it is a darker green in the higher of the two pairs i mean there's it, he says it's the garden of the soul the garden of the heart the garden of the essence and the garden of the spirit now i've got those so there's um it's quite it's slightly complex so um <clears throat> in each of these two pairs sorry <clears throat> there's um the, the lower of, the, of each of these two pairs of gardens is for our multiple joys, our human joys, and the higher is um, when we are closer to God. I mean, the idea of green, it seems to be, is that your proximity to the divine and the closer you are, the deeper the green. And mm. if you read this in Surat al-Rahman, um, this is made very clear. It's a very... Um, it's, it's, it's a very deep and profound reason for this, this beautiful, restful, soothing color green. 
uh, and there are other, obviously there are other things which um, Shuon talks about in one of his books. And, and also in Christianity, green is the, I mean, it's the God, of course, it's the color of spring. It's the color of fertility. It's the color of hope. Um, and I think we all feel that, particularly now. We're here in February um, in, in the UK. And just now the green, the fresh green of the daffodils are coming through. And we've had the, I mean, the daffodils, of course, are yellow, but we have the fresh green of their leaves and, of course, of the snowdrops. We haven't yet come to really in March. It starts being um, very bright and uplifting. And I noticed my old friend Khalid Jaffa. It was very nice to see you. You are seen to be sitting in a beautiful garden. So uh, yeah, thank you. You but have don't, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That is not real. <laughs> that is real. Um, is that really true? Ah, uh, yeah, no. it's a picture, but it's real now, yeah, with the Rangoon, uh, the red color of the Rangoon creepers, yeah. So, because, uh, yeah, I took it photographs as so, for my background. Ah, so. it's very because it looks, but anyway, then you know what is real, of course. And again, um, yeah. the, 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 the nature that we see, the green that we see in this world is, of course, but a shadow of the, di the of the, yes. of the, the wondrous. That we'll see in the, that we'll see in paradise. Um, I, uh, something I mentioned to Reza the other day, which of course, in this world, in this manifest world, where does this color green come from? Um, it's interesting. I went to, years and years ago. I went to a lecture on chem on chemistry and color and how you know we obtain all our beautiful colors from the minerals and um, trees and plants of this that we see growing outside. But it's very, very difficult. Green, and they said then it was almost impossible to actually extract the color green from any particular plant and we have to mix them. I mean, my colleagues at the Prince's School know a lot about this because they're always making, it is possible, but it's very hard. It's interesting, there's, a, there's this idea of secrecy about the color green, it's sort of hidden. Janna is, Jannat is hidden, we have to, Jannat is, is paradise. We, ha we can't just come upon, upon it very, um, easily and quickly, you know, we have to work for it, as we know. It's for those who do good deeds and de deeds of righteousness. But so where does it come from? It comes from chlorophyll. I have to read this because I need to get it right. The result of the extraordinary process of photosynthesis. And the word is from the Greek, photo meaning light and synthesis meaning making. So it's the making of light. And this, again, is very, very profound so you are the idea of green associated with light um which of course is with the divine light and if you um i think um who somebody was telling us the other day reza wasn't he um ali musa about in kupra can you remember this he said mm. um that the idea of green was definitely was really a symbol of the divine light, mm. of the divine essence. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, I, um, this is uh, from Najmadin Kubra, um, the eponymous founder of the Kubrawiya Tariqa, um, who had this extraordinary uh, depiction of the degrees of realization in terms of, of photisms of color light colors uh 
whereby green is the color of the attainment of the plenitude of the the spiritual state symbolized by the prophet as opposed to what appears to be the highest realization which is the color black the color of jesus the color of total extinction and the color that halaj as it were attained but from the kubrawi point of view this this color black the jesus of your being is uh, to be transcended by way of imminent depth through contact with the muhammad of your being which is the green color and now why does he uh, you know we've mentioned this before that most sufis have to uh, place the prophet at a higher level vis-a-vis the other prophets um but we have to remember that what this symbolizes is the uh the plenitude on the one hand and the balance on the other that whereas jesus represents the color black as the kind of um the closest you can get to the, the famous saying uh, in uh, the song of songs that i am black but beautiful the shulamite says this blackness the layla the essence it's something utterly hidden utterly beyond all comprehension and in a sense has nothing to do with this world just like jesus was in a sense transcendent vis-a-vis this world but muhammad embraced this world f- from the highest point of view and established uh, equilibrium on the basis of which you have extinction as shuan has said so beautifully in in his chapter on the prophet muhammad in his book understanding islam um he says that essentially muhammad is equilibrium with a view to extinction so that equilibrium is what the color green symbolizes beautifully the equilibrium of bringing together earth and heaven in wonderful harmony with a view to transcendence and i think also emma we talked about um how the color green is the midmost color in the uh, spectrum of the rainbow yes and there are three on one side three on the other but green is the midmost color it's, as you say photosynthesis it creates that that light uh um in the most in a manner which makes it most susceptible to its refraction in all of the it's like the hidden treasure that long to be known and it gets known as it were three colors one way three colors the other way and that i think is what relates to this i've just been looking up and i i apologize for leaving for a second i was just looking up the word dahama that that word mudahama that we have in the surah ar-rahman that is is uh, translated variously but the one translation i think that helps most to get to the idea in question is uh, a- an extreme greenness that is tending unto darkness and i'm just going to to read out what that says because uh, what what uh, we have in this uh, the lane's lexicon on this word dahama and somebody else has it to hand but uh yeah here we are so dahama this primary meaning and i just remind you perhaps uh, those of you who may not know that in the 
in the Surah Rahman that we actually looked at last time, the first two sets of gardens, the first pair, we're told the Wata Afnan, there are two, two gardens and they are with branches outspreading. So already you have an idea of greenery, of the idea of a forest, um, a, a wooded area, trees, greenery. But it, when the second pair are noted, they're called Mudhamatan. The dual form is given of Mudhama, which is from Dahama, which as I'm about to say is, I'll, I'll read out the primary meaning, which is quite unexpected. Uh, and then you go on that, whereas in the first pair of gardens, the lower pair, you have fountains that are flowing. In the second lot, you have fountains that are gushing. And then you have fruits of every kind in pairs for the lower two. But then with the higher two, you have particular fruits mentioned. You have fruits and then the pomegranate and you have the, the date. And so, um, Emma, last time we read out what Dr. Ling said about the significance of those two fruits, the pomegranate, which is complete uh, unity with mm -hmm. undifferentiated, all of the possibilities of manifestation in a kind of undifferentiated unity within the pomegranate, all the, 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 the seeds are there, whereas the date has a clear flesh and it's in a core. So there's duality. Yeah. And that duality is the duality of the spirit um, and the individuality of the, of, the, of the personal substance, of the individual that is in paradise. So that's the garden of the spirit, where the where Shuan describes the inhabitants of having crowns of uncreated light. So they are individuals, they are saints, they're prophets, they're the, the, the righteous who have attained the paradisal state, the highest state, but there is still a duality constituted by their personal substance and their uncreated essence, all of which goes back to the garden of the essence, which is the one. Sorry. Well, just to say that personal substance is represented by, by the stone, by the date pip, which yes. is within. And this happens in the two, the pair of lower gardens where you have the, the higher of, this, of these two gardens is the, is the um, fig, which of course is also completely integrated, rather like the pomegranate, and you can actually eat the whole thing. Right. Um, whereas the olive tree, which is the tree which is in the lower garden, it still has duality like the date, but it, and it has the date um it has the stone of the olive within it representing that individuality mm. which has not been un it has not been completely purified right. so it's, right. it's it's on the lower plane isn't it this these um that pair of gardens that's right so um this there's one go, go I'm ahead mentioning a couple more things about green and then over to you but um because you mentioned equilibrium um, mm. it's neither too hot nor too heavy. I mean, this is what Shuan talks about, which is generally known about, co about colour, um, because it's made up of blue and yellow, and blue is a cold colour and yellow is a light colour. And it's very interesting um, because um, Lings talks about this beautifully, both in the Simulan Archetype book and also in his... Um, magnificent book on the Quran on Quran illumination um, 
because he talks about how blue is the predominant color in Islamic art. Mm. And blue is the color of the mantle of the Virgin. And blue is the color of the celestial realm. And mm. blue represents more than anything. It represents mercy. Mm. But when the light of the spirit, which is yellow or gold, is cast upon blue, then it becomes green. And mm. green, he says, is instead of is mercy manifested in the world. And so mm. it's a very, very beautiful concept. We are surrounded by mercy in nature because nature is green. Mm. I, I, I love this. You know, you really feel that this is a reminder all the time that mercy mm. is we are open and ready and we remember it so um i think that's the last day i i mean something i think I, I, we mentioned this the other day i imagine if if nature was not green if it were another color and it simply mm. wouldn't have beautiful uh, this beautiful even calmness that you were talking about about the equilibrium it kind of has to be green doesn't it mm -hmm. they all the colors have negative qualities of course and green uh, I mean, again, I, I can't really go into this, but it, it's in that spiritual perspectives and human facts because there is this idea of green, green with envy, which is the sort of the negative side of green, if you like. Mm -hmm. But these are accidental. I think that's what um, Shuan says. These are the accidental um, aspects of, of the colors. Right. Profoundly green is this, um, well, it's mercy and divine light and hope. I mean, it has so many qualities, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, well, uh, just on a personal note um, regarding Dr. Ling's and his own engagement, creative and marvelous and inspiring with his own garden and with where I'm speaking from his house, um, that uh, he, emphasized increasingly towards the end of his life that we have to convert or i don't think he was but we have to make every moment into a moment of mercy and i can't help feeling that there's a connection between that and the fact that he spent hours and hours of his afternoons especially in the spring and the summer, out in the garden, either working in the garden or contemplating the fruits of his own labor. Um, and he said that as we are entering into this extremely difficult period of human history, where spiritual possibilities are so rare and so strangled, so difficult to come by, the superabundance of heavenly mercy is to be availed of we have to make a, uh, we have to take advantage of the superabundance of the compensating mercy at the end of this cycle of time and we have to make every moment into a moment of mercy and being surrounded by green being and being able to look at greenery is of immense cosmological as well as spiritual significance in our times and we shouldn't underestimate the awful impact of urbanization and industrialization on, on our beautiful planet and how important it is for people living in cities to just either have access to gardens and parks or go out into the countryside and get back into the natural world where they will begin to see the the signs that God is talking about in the Quran 
at the end of the Surah Fussilat, that we shall show them our signs, our revelations. Sanurihim ayatina fil afaq wa fi anfusihim hatta yatabayyana lahu lahum annahu al-haq. We shall show them our revelations, our signs on the horizons and in their own souls until it's true that God is the truth, until it's clear to them that God is the truth. And that really happens in virgin nature, when the signs on the horizons are the signs of virgin nature. So I think we're running out of time, but I just wanted to read, um, you know, go back to this idea of mudhama, this curious, powerful word that has been translated in various ways as describing the nature of the two higher gardens and this greenness that's tending unto darkness. So I'm reading from Lane's lexicon, and Dahama, or Dahmahum, it's a various, it's a, it's a difficult sort of word. Um, Dahamaka means to overwhelm you. It came upon you. Dahamika or Dahamaka came upon the uh, overwhelming you, covering you as a thing that overwhelms you. The horsemen came upon them suddenly. And then another meaning, the fire blackened the cooking pot. It, another meaning, it displeased or grieved. Another meaning is that it's synonymous with tadam, and it's on the authority of so-and-so, it's synonymous with this. Uh, the horse became black. Uh, idhimam is to become black. And it's the seed produce. This is coming closer now to what we're looking for. Idhama is azar. It says when idhama zara, the seed produce became of a dark green color, or it was overspread with blackness by reason of the abundance of moisture or irrigation. The meadow became of a dark green color. Idhamat. It be, the meadow became of a dark green color. And then finally, Idhamat al Khudra. And actually, I'm now relating directly to green. The greenness became so intense as to appear black, blackish, or to appear black when viewed from a distance. So these are some of the very interesting meanings of this uh, rich word mudhamatan the two gardens that are so green that they appear to be black and what we just read from a distance they appear to be black but as emma said as you approach this thing that appears to be hidden by virtue of blackness actually reveals itself to be a greenness and abundance and so on so i think um we uh we have a few minutes, actually. Is there anything that anyone would like to to, to uh, add by way of comment or to ask? Um, I, I might have uh, um, a comment, but it's not necessarily uh, to the color green, uh, as such, if I may. It, it was really um, a comment from, uh, well, it's a comment and a question, uh, a comment from um, an audience, one of the audience in States, um, these very um, uh, the states, and uh, she commented on in the last episode that we um, that we had, but by saying that um, she was thanking everyone really, and she was saying 
uh, as we're speaking about the two levels of paradise and the paradoxia we might attain to uh, the world uh, to the word that popped into my head about Allah where infinite singularity um, um, so uh, I thought uh, to put her comments on and she's uh, all right, all right. Uh, uh, I think uh, well, we are running out of time and we'll yes. pass Maghrib time here in, in Malaysia uh, thank you again, uh, Dr. Reza, and also thank you to uh, Emma Clark for joining us, uh, uh, illuminating on the, the issue problem of colors. Yeah, uh, that's really uh, illuminating for us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we, uh, inshallah, uh, we meet again uh, two weeks from now. Yeah, in other session we'll, of the reading, uh, and we'll carry on with the reading from uh, chapter uh, four. Chapter four. Yeah. Is it chapter four or chapter? Th yes, chapter four. I think we're yeah. chapter three. Yes, chapter four. Yes, chapter yeah, four. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Very good to see you, Khalid Jaffa. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.